We've watched the third episode of Disney's Moon Knight several times over now. And just like the first two, it's entertaining and left us in suspense, awe, and with a lot of questions. Today on Night Night Spectre, we run around Cairo, question the gods, and chill the F out as we discuss the friendly type. Night Night Spectre, the podcast that explores the stories, characters, and splintered mind of Moon Knight. I'm your host, Elizabeth. And I'm Lawrence. Welcome to the show. Now that the third episode of Moon Knight on Disney Plus is out, we finally reached the halfway point of this sadly short series. We have more reactions, speculations, and questions to cover today on the show. But first, like always, we have a little housekeeping to do. We love to hear from our listeners. So email us at nightnightspecter at gmail.com. That's N-I-G-H-T-K-N-I-G-H-T-S-P-E-C-T-O-R at gmail.com with your thoughts and questions, and you might see them appear on a future episode. You can find Lawrence at produced by underscore LK on Twitter and Twitch. You can find Elizabeth at it's Rizbiff, I-T-S-R-I-Z-B-I-F on Instagram and Twitter. And of course, you can connect with the Lore Party team on Instagram, Twitter, and Twitch at Lore underscore Party. So before we dive in, if you haven't watched the third episode of Moon Knight, The Friendly Type, on Disney Plus yet, now's your time to pause and go watch it if you don't want to hear any spoilers. So now that we've officially warned you, let's get into it. All right. So we'll give you a brief summary like always. We open the episode with Layla talking about Mark to a contact. This contact is crafting Layla a fake passport so that she can return home to Cairo. Layla reveals that she is not a thief. She simply takes stolen artifacts off the black market while keeping some money for herself. The two lovingly discuss Layla's father, an archaeologist who mysteriously died on a dig. The contact finishes the passport and sends Layla on their way. We then see Arthur and the followers of Ahmet in the deserts of Egypt having finally honed in on the location of Ahmet's tomb. Our two detectives from the previous episode, Billy and Bobby, inform Arthur that Mark is here in Cairo, but Arthur doesn't seem to care. We then see Mark scaling buildings looking for a contact that knows about Arthur, only for a group of Ahmed's followers to kill said contact. After some sweet knife tricks, Mark begins to make quick work of the three killers, only for baby boy Steven to get involved and prevent Mark from killing them. Mark then wakes up in a cab bound for the airport and encounters the thugs again. They tell him, you just let us go, man. After a chase through the market, Mark corners one of the followers and begins whooping his ass and interrogating him only for Steven to interfere yet again. Mark gets hit on the head and passes out, only to wake up, knife in hand, having killed two of the assassins. Steven and Mark are both confused by the death that surrounds them. Kanchu tells Mark to hold the remaining member of Ahmet's followers over the ledge and that he'll talk, to which Mark exclaims, he's just a kid. Kanchu assures Mark again that this person will talk. The follower instead chooses death over betrayal of Ahmet and severs the scarf Mark was holding, falling to their death. Mark then accuses Stephen of killing these people, 
To which Stephen responds that he hasn't, and if Mark is worried about the body count, he should stop listening to Conchu, the stupid pigeon. Mark asks Conchu about getting help from the other gods, to which Conchu is reluctant to do so, but then finally caves. In order to get their attention, Conchu eclipses the sun with the moon, which provokes the gods to gather their avatars so that Mark and Conchu can plead their case about Arthur. Mark enters a portal, and he is transported to the Pyramid of Giza, which amazes Stephen. Here, Mark meets the other avatars, starting with Conchu's old friend, Hathor, goddess of music and love, and her avatar, Yatzo. The gods convene, and the trial begins. Horus, Isis, Tefnut, Osiris, and Hathor are in attendance. The gods berate Khonshu for nearly revealing them with his eclipse stunt. Khonshu argues the gods abandoned the humans and they countered with the humans abandoned them. Khonshu accuses Arthur of conspiracy to release Amit. Arthur is summoned and denies these claims and tells the gods that it is Khonshu that seeks Amit out of jealousy. He reveals that Mark is unwell, and when Arthur calls Mark insane, Khonshu attacks him as Mark and they are both restrained. Arthur accuses Khonshu of abusing Mark, just like Conchu abused him. The gods ask Mark if he is unwell, and he admits that he is and that he needs help, but that Arthur is also guilty of what he's been accused of. The gods dismiss the charges, however, since to them, Arthur has committed no offense. Hathor meets with Mark in secret, and she lets him know about a Magi named Senfu, whose sarcophagus contains clues on finding the location of Ahmed's tomb. Mark then returns to Cairo and attempts to interrogate a juice vendor about Senfu. Layla shows up with juice in hand and a plan already constructed. Then on a boat to her contact, Layla confronts Mark about abandoning her and for not telling her about the DID. Mark apologizes and Layla tells him that they should have worked together. Layla takes Mark to Mogart, the man who has Senfu's sarcophagus. Mark notices Ahmed's followers are in a boat near where he and Layla just docked. Mark, under an assumed identity, is ironically posing as Layla's husband. Layla meets back one of the bodyguards who leads them to Mogart. Mogart appears looking like a fuckboy. Layla introduces Mark as Rufino. As Mogart leads Mark and Layla to Senfu's coffin, he questions Mark about why he is interested. Layla asks Mark to bring out Stephen before he blows this, but Mark refuses. As they try to find the information they need, Stephen appears in the reflection and tells Mark the information is coded. Mark and Stephen have an argument about controlling the body, and in an attempt to stop a bloodbath, Mark convinces Stephen to work with him, only to be stopped by Beck. Layla reveals Mark's identity as she yells for him to stop. Beck holds Layla and Mark hostage, and as Mogart begins to look in the sarcophagus, Beck informs him that someone new has arrived. Arthur Harrow. Arthur reveals that he knows Layla is hurting from her father's death and that Mark knows something about it that he hasn't told Layla because he's afraid she'll know that Mark is undeserving of love. Arthur uses his magic pimp cane to destroy the sarcophagus and seemingly the clue contained inside, all the while Conchu yells for Mark to summon the suit. Mark disappears and then reappears atop the glass pyramid as Moon Knight, and the fighting ensues. As Mogart's men shoot at Layla, Mark shields her from bullets with his cape and redirects them back at the bodyguards as a distraction for Layla to get back to the sarcophagus. As Layla turns to leave after collecting the broken pieces of the puzzle they need, Beck attacks Layla, and as expected, she's able to hold her own. Stephen, however, stops Mark mid-fight because he's being too violent. 
So we see Mr. Knight once more, this time trying to pacify the situation with words. After trying to get everyone to chill the F out, Stephen is impaled and immediately switches back so Mark can kick ass. Layla wins her fight with Beck and shoots a guard heading towards Mark. Turning Mogart's attention to her as his new target to kill, Mark steps in at the last second and saves her, delivering a seemingly fatal blow to Mogart. Afterwards, in their escape vehicle, Layla confronts Mark about what Harrow said to her about Mark knowing something about her father's death. Layla says she's feeling like she doesn't know Mark at all, to which he responds, no, you don't. Mark and Layla are tailed from afar into the desert and attempt to repair the destroyed clue from Senfu's sarcophagus. Mark gets frustrated and Layla pleads with him to bring Stephen out since he understands how to solve this clue. Conchu tries to convince Mark not to summon the worm, but Mark resists, breaks off the car mirror, and allows Stephen to come out. Stephen explains how the ancient Egyptians invented navigation as he completes the puzzle. After holding the puzzle up, it is revealed that Senfu marked the tomb of Ahmet with the constellations, and since the stars move over time, they need to know the exact position of the stars on that night. Kanju reveals he remembers every night and tells them he can turn back the stars, knowing the gods would imprison him. He tells Stephen to tell Mark to save him, and then instructs Stephen as Mr. Knight on how to turn back the sky. At the same time, the gods begin to imprison Kanchu, which saps Stephen's strength as well. After turning back the sky, they find the tomb, Kanchu is sealed, and Stephen collapses in plain clothes on the ground in Layla's arms. Arthur is then seen inside of Giza again and is left alone with Kanchu's statue. He reveals his true sin is loving the pain he's been able to deal out in Kanchu's name. He admits that he is grateful to have been broken by Kanchu so he now understands the value of healing and that Kanchu's torment forged him. He owes his victory to Kanchu. And with that, that concludes our summary of episode three, The Friendly Type. So... Now we want to talk about our overall thoughts of the episode. Yeah, so I think, again, overall, I really enjoyed the episode. Generally in the series, my biggest critiques have been just like, they stop, I feel like, too soon. I I want more, but obviously that's a, you know, purposeful choice on their part. They've got to keep us coming back. I think particularly when it comes to this episode, I'm so glad that we're getting closer to the reveal of Jake. And I'm even more so glad that Steven is getting a bigger part in helping the cause, which I would have to assume after what he did in this past episode that Conchu has to look at him in a better light. Maybe stop calling him worm and idiot all the time. Though Steven really does need to stop taking over while Mark is trying to fight. He's definitely going to get them hurt in a big way if he continues to do that. Though maybe getting impaled was his uh, lesson to be learned. It's got the magical healing armor on. Right. It <laughs> helps you from bullets, not from getting impaled by a spear, I guess. Right. I also find it like super hilarious that Khonshu specifically tells Mark before he goes into Giza that the case against Harrow must be indisputable. But then when Khonshu is speaking during this trial or whatever, he then throws a tantrum rather than actually making a case to the Ennead. Yeah. There's no, like, this is what he's doing. It's just like, I'm not going to take this self-righteous stuff from you guys. Like, it's not a case. Kanji, calm down. (laughs) Right. I mean, I think, honestly, this was one of my favorite episodes. I think my favorite thing about this episode is that it showed a lot of, like, personal truths about a lot of the characters, um, while still kind of 
staying true to the mystery and confusion that like Disney Plus has been, you know, pretty good at for this Moon Knight series. Like I keep going back to the Ethan Hawke quote about the duality, like everything in this show has a duality. This episode was no different. I think the episode does a pretty good job of peeling back some of the more peaceful and stoic aspects of Ethan Hawke's character, Arthur Harrow, and like in a big way. We see him on trial, we see him throw criticisms, um, and we see him approach Mark differently than how he approached Steven in the previous episode. I also found it interesting that his his confession about enjoying being able to deal out pain as Moon Knight in the past, like that was something that was that he liked, um, which was funny because that was something that Kanchu mentioned about Mark in the first episode. But I think just as as you mentioned, one thing that we can both agree is probably one of our favorite uh, parts of the episode is the is that Jake Lockley has basically been confirmed and is lying in wait, um, you know, for the right moment to appear, and that he's literally just as like straight to the point and bloodthirsty as he is in the comics. So I'm I'm very curious to see about you know how something like that will actually play out for like the remaining three episodes that we have. Yeah, I find it very interesting that they clearly are like, oh, you did this. No, no, you did this. It wasn't me. And like, no one took a second to be like, well, if it's not you, like, we did, we're we just going to move on from that. Like, we're not going to make that a big deal, even though it should be. Right. It makes you question, like, how long has Jake been around and how long has he been kind of like quietly waiting to pop out just to kill only to go away? Yeah. And speaking of which, I can see we have an ad lying in wait right around the corner, and it has the scarab. Oh, no. So we're going to take a quick break here. We'll be right back. And now that we're back from dealing with that scarab situation, let's get into character quotes. So the first one that we have to talk about today is from the Forager. They say, it's a hard thing. Exhuming the pain of the past, easy to get stuck. Fixate on what's hurt us. I really liked this quote in particular because I feel like this was a good summary of the entire episode. Like this encapsulated the episode right at the very beginning. um, And it showed us what we would be expecting. Like we see that there's not one character in the show that isn't dealing with the pain of the past. Kanji is dealing with his past avatar and his broken relationship with gods or with the gods. I think that like Arthur is is juggling his past and love of violence as Moon Knight. And Mark is struggling with not being able to suppress or ignore his dissociative identity disorder in a manner that he was like more accustomed to. And now it's it's becoming a much larger part of his life. So it's like honestly, it was a very big very big theme of the episode. And I don't know if I've mentioned it, but Layla and her dad, obviously. Yeah. Something that we're going to probably get more information on, but Layla's dad is is definitely dead. So while this was meant specifically for her, it applies to like the whole swath of characters that we see in this episode. Yeah. And I think unbeknownst to the forager, I mean, she might have explained it when she's going on this rant about Mark, but like she's the things from Mark's past that she's also got to kind of, like, keep up with. And, like, not just her own past, not just her father. Like, Mark generally, his, like, his stuff is affecting her as well. Yeah. 
later in our quote section actually have a quote pertaining that, that kind of bounces off of this one. But until we get to that point, our next quote is actually from Arthur Harrow himself, which this is the first episode where Arthur's quotes haven't dominated this section of the episode. So Arthur's slacking. Yeah, like this is this is I told you they're peeling back the uh, his stoic nature to show us that he's uh, kind of likes violence. Uh, <laughs> but Arthur's quote was Layla, you keep thinking that distance will prevent the wounds from your father's murder from reopening. But something stands in your way. Your husband doesn't tell you the truth. And Mark, you don't tell her because you know that if you do, she'll see you exactly as you see yourself, as unworthy of love. Which I think is super sad. Yes. And also, it's just a good, good, sweet testament to Arthur. Honestly, like, he's pulling back the layers because he is so close to his goals. Like, he has to be feeling good. Like, he trapped the guy that made him who he was he's like outpacing mark every step like he's he's really he's really showing up so like he's it's he's gone past his a few episodes ago sort of like it's a shame that you won't be able to see the world we create and now it's just like ha guess what i know something you don't know i think it's also kind of like just shows like how he interacts with people that are willing to follow him versus not. And it's also, I mean, it still goes with the uh, on brand of being manipulative. It is just, just like the way that he is manipulative to people that don't follow him is just a little bit more uh, stingy, I think. Oh. <laughs> oh yeah, very well, like uh, very, very much. Like Arthur, one thing he showed us through the entire series is that he's really good at playing the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, I think it was like in rare form in this episode because he was still playing the field, but was very direct. Like even in this hostile situation, what he does is he uses the pain of of others against, or yeah, against them to get what he wants. And what he wants is for there to be a lot of tension or possibly a severing of the bond between Mark and Layla, because that only makes their offense against him that much weaker. Like Arthur very much knows that like Conchu is just powerful, but like he's kind of a crybaby. Like Conchu has spent most of the time throwing tantrums, where Mark is just so singular, so singularly focused on on like co- accomplishing this goal, so he can move on. That he's also pretty sloppy. Like we saw when he was in the market of Cairo, trying to ask about Sinfu's tomb to random people, and they were like, "I'm not talking to you, foreign guy." Mm-hmm. I think it's just. He knows that like Layla is their resourceful person. She knows Cairo. She's obviously known in several circles in Cairo. For she definitely talked to that juice man because she came with that juice. <laughs> right. So like he obviously knows that the the strength in in this group is Layla. She's the glue that holds them all together. She's not a coward. She's not an idiot, and she's not a crybaby. And so this was a very deliberate attempt, whether Mark had something to do with her dad's death or not, to split them apart. Absolutely, which I think is a good segue into our next quote, which is from Layla. Every time I learn something new about you, I think that's it. There can't possibly be any secrets left between us. And then something else pops up, and it's like I've not known you at all. Yeah, damn right. Because you haven't <laughs> even met Jake yet. Oh, I, I feel like neither has Mark at this point. So. 
right? I'm like, wait till you see the chicken god. Oh god. Like yeah. that I mean, but that is is so so telling and a very like also Han Solo response from Mark was no you don't. Right. This is exactly what Arthur was going for. And like obviously like Mark's like no, he's just he's literally just trying to to split us up. Whether that's actually true, him just trying to brush whatever happened under the rug, it it is accurate. And that's the reaction that that Arthur wanted. Yeah, and you know, even building upon that too, I think that Arthur, ha- I mean, Arthur has shown that he could get information on anybody. Like they pulled up Mark Spector's stuff in like a second and talked about the the um, massacre at the burial site. And they, ta- I feel like they deliberately talked to Stephen about it. But I know that Arthur knows that Mark is not like Stephen in a sense where he's going to wear his feelings on his shoulder. Mark is very much like the opposite of that, where he's got a kind heart, but he does everything on his own. He is not used to working with people. Like, he was going to divorce Layla just so she wasn't involved in this. Yeah, I mean, like... See, even in the um, the fight sequence in the beginning, like most of the hits that Mark threw were slaps. Yeah, Mark is very much sort of like the loner of his different personas. Oh, I mean, actually, I feel like two of the three of those guys are loners. So Mark is Mark, <laughs> Mark is, is the is nice the, loner, the violent one with a heart instead of the violent one with no heart, the and then the non-violent one with a heart. <laughs> yeah, like like Mark is very much just. Like, he's very closely guarded, so he's not going to... When Layla... I think that Arthur knew that when Layla questioned Mark about what he said, Mark is going to not give a real answer. It's going to be an answer that also continues to uh, fulfill his purpose of keeping them separated from one another or building that tension. Also, I think the final reason why that quote was super impactful to me was because we see right before this, too, when they're on the boat talking to each other... And, you know, Layla is like, you know, how long has this been going on? Why haven't you told me about this? You know, she's like really trying to show her support. Like She doesn't care that Mark has dissociative identity disorder because she cares about Mark. It's her husband. She loves him. Yeah, this yeah. is something that could have got through together. Like she's trying to be like, dummy, I'm your wife. I'm your support system. Can you please act like it? Thank you. But Mark is very much of the opposite opinion. And because of that, he pushes people that are close to him further and further and further away. Funny thing for him, though, is he's got your altar named Stephen that that very much enjoys his wife's company. So you don't have the option. This is the one time where, like, you don't have the option of being like the the brooding, like anti-hero man, because you also are the also the nerdy wimp at the same time. Right. And I I mean, you got to acknowledge the fact that Layla was definitely given Steven some eyes near the end of that. Like she was very impressed by what was going on before her. <laughs> That's why if I was Mark, I'd be like, stay the fuck away from my wife, me. <laughs> <laughs> but that is a that is definitely a topic for a different episode. But we do have one more quote, a quote from the almighty chicken god himself, Conchu. I remember that night. I remember Every night. Thank you, Batman. <laughs> when Conchu says this, I mean, like, obviously being helpful, moving the plot forward, but he says this in such, like, at least for me, a depressing way. Like, at this point, we're not aware of how long he's been banished. 
but remembering each night seems to be taking a toll on him. Seems to be something that would take a toll on anybody. And I think maybe that's why he leans so hard into being just such a dick because he's got all of this going on. Like, uh, Yeah, I mean, that could be true because they did talk about how it wasn't that long ago that he was enjoying like Hawthorne's music and stuff. And it seemed like there was something there. Yeah. So like, yeah, maybe. Honestly, one of the thoughts that I got from from that was that Kanchu is starting... Kanchu knew that this was something he had to do. That he knew that if he was really all about that greater good shit that he's been preaching, that like he's got to make the sacrifice play because he's the only person that can do it at the time. You know, not that there aren't apps that could... But, you know... I mean, we're not... Shh, 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 shh. But <laughs> Kanchu, Don't tell Kanchu. He Kanchu could have opened his iPhone... <laughs> been like eh, it was right over there but let's i mean i i honestly when he was like stood there and reflected on everything i felt like maybe this situation of that has that was presented in the episode actually started to make sense to him like we talked about in our kanju episode about how kanju really has his own motives in mind and that man is really in it for himself. But then there are some times where Kanchu is pretty understanding. And then there are some times when he's annoyingly not understanding and like borderline evil. So like I think we're getting one of those good moments where Kanchu is like got a little taste of the medicine. Because yeah. he, he sat there and was just like, you know, I remember that night and I can do this. And like I think it was him acknowledging like I can can do this and bring us back to this point so that we can do something for the greater good. But you still got to save my ass because otherwise you're going to get killed by Arthur and his pimp cane. So <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> it, even even in the beginning of the episode where he was like, they're trying to figure out how to bring the attention to the gods and he's just like, I mean, I have a bad idea and then goes and does said bad idea knowing after already telling Mark, if I do some crazy shit, they're going to imprison me in stone. And he still goes and does his quote unquote bad idea. Yeah, man was like, fuck it. I'm going to on my third strike and I'm still going to do it. But what I really loved about that situation in this quote overall, you know, not moving, not moving too far away from the meaning of the actual quote and everything. But I think what I liked about the situation and like what he was prepared to do was this was the first time that we also saw Kanchu um getting ready this is the closest he's gotten to acknowledging steven yeah because he could have ridiculed him and told him to switch back with mark and he just finished calling him a worm mm -hmm. but like at the same time he was like hey steven tell mark to come save me which is a lot of trust to put into someone that you feel like is an insignificant worm and that fucks things up constantly absolutely and that's why i said earlier like I hope after all of the things that Steven did in this episode to help further the cause that Conchu maybe stops calling him an idiot and a parasite and a worm, at least as much. I feel like it won't be enough for him to immediately like flip this switch and be like, yeah, Steven's great, but, <laughs> but maybe that he can be a little bit nicer. Hopefully um, he just sees Jake and starts to direct that negativity that way. <laughs> Because, I mean, we know from the comics, is Jake is not Kanchu's favorite person in the world. Yes, because he's basically a murderer. But, you know, I mean, he's he's cool. It's like Batman double dose. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's, a, that's the best way I could describe Jake. But with our, you know, with our quotes out of the way, 
And we want to move to our burning questions section of the episode because, as always, we very much have some burning questions that have come up in this episode. So many. I think first, at least for me, the part that gave me very many questions was the meeting of the Ennead. Like, first of all, why weren't all the gods present for this meeting? Yeah, there were some particularly important figures in the Marvel universe that weren't present, which was kind of... Looking at you, Ra. And looking at Bass, the uh, panther god from Black Panther. It's like, I'm filming a movie. <laughs> I'm filming a movie. I can't be bothered with your TV series. Right, I'm hanging out by the tree. Back the fuck off. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's... There's, yeah, there, there's a, there are several gods. I mean, Ra especially. You would think that, you know, Ra is, is the honestly the, the better point to focus on besides the panther god because to summon the gods, they had to eclipse the sun. And that was supposed to really be a shot at Ra. The moon blocked out the sun. And so that was Khonshu being an asshole. I, it is it is honestly interesting how that didn't bring like the sort like the wrath of Ra upon them because I remember when we were doing our speculation episode for this podcast or you know for for the series that was one thing that we thought Ethan Hawke's character was going to be uh, Sun Ra but turns out it's or Sun God Sun King but turns out it's not I low key haven't given up on that I feel like since we haven't seen Ra. <laughs> Hey, yeah. someone's going to pop out and be, <laughs> be sunking eventually. Right. And I mean, honestly, like it's it's still like it's showing Raw didn't show up. So Raw doesn't have an avatar that we know of. Yeah. And so like that is very much open on, you know, that's very much on the table right now. So that's yeah. a, like an honestly like an interesting, an interesting thing. Fucking Osiris lead everything. <laughs> I feel like it's also probably a testament to how long these people have been avatars that like there is zero noticeable switch in yeah. most of them from going being like in their like whatever possessed or whatever th- thing. Been backwards. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like, man, your guy sure gets to talk a lot. Like we didn't even deliberate. Why did we all show up here? Right. I, I, Cause I feel like everybody wasn't from Egypt. I had to get in a teleporter and come here just to sit down. Right, which I think is a good segue for the next question I had, which is why do we expect Arthur to freely admit that he's conspiring against the gods to release Amit? Also, if you are a follower of the Egyptian gods, they are not watching. Oh, clearly <laughs> yeah, they're not. They're... Only their avatars are, and I don't. Like, clearly, they don't have omnipotence. So <laughs> yeah, it's like I'm pretty much like wrapped up watching Netflix with this avatar. I'm not keeping an eye on the world, right? Because man is in the desert. With a group of followers, whole like wholeheartedly, like we all have the same tattoo. We are definitely here from for Ahmed, and we're I've definitely digging. killed people and we're, in Ahmed's name. And we're digging sandbags, but it was like, yeah, yo, yeah, I was in the desert. What of it? That a crime? Right. I, I, I feel like it's it's super interesting, and that like generally just super interesting that they're gonna be like, oh yeah. So all you've said to us is that you're accusing this man of this crime. Immediately, let's bring him in. I don't want to hear any of your case on what he's doing that is actually proving that. We just want to, we'll ask him. We'll take his word for it. Uh, That seems fine. But it's also, I feel like in a weird way, a case (laughs) for Amit to to, to come back because they let Arthur go, being like he hasn't 
committed an offense, even though we all know he's about to go do said thing. Yeah, I mean, the criminal justice system, gods, is pretty much the same as it is in America. Because I was like, Jesus, wow, this is an open and check case. Like, dude, <laughs> like, dude didn't get any legal representation. He just had a chicken yelling through his body and then... <laughs> Making zero case for himself, even though he needed it to be, uh, you know, foolproof. Also, like, the winning argument to the case was, well, hold on second. That guy, that god is a baby, and this guy has, like... A mental illness and they were like yeah you know what you're right and i just like well hold on a second the man did admit to being in the desert right. but this is also what happens when no one knows where the damn tomb is right and he's like you didn't ask him why you did not also like ah, what there's are, just so many things where are you people <laughs> yeah i would have been like where's the tomb i mean i we don't know some guy wrote it on a piece of cloth two thousand years ago and no one checked in on it right and like if this is something that is like all the gods collectively were like no Peace out, Girl Scout, Amit. We're going to, like, you're going to go somewhere else. We're going to exile you. You're going to be entombed somewhere. Seems like something that would be very important to them to keep tabs on in case anybody would go against their, you know, terms and conditions of this deal to break it. See, my thing is, like, they mentioned, Yetzel mentioned that they only had Senfu do what he did just in case they decided to forgive um, Amit and, and release release her but at the same time i was like that dude has been dead like what else are you gonna do like have a general knowledge of where the thing is supposed to be i mean i guess you have the scarab but i'd also be like hey well who has the scarab right who has a scarab uh because that would be the first indicator that some something heinous is going on if you don't have a scarab anymore like one of the avatars would have been cool to just have that yeah i mean honestly like, we could go back and forth about this case, but uh, the one thing I will say that, like, really pissed me off is I was like, you guys could just follow him back. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, right. I would have been, that would have been the one case. Now I'm like, well, hold on, motherfucker. Why don't we just follow him back? And if there's some suspicious digging shit going on here, we know that the chicken god and this guy were telling the truth. But everybody was like, yeah, no, open and shut case. We can bring him here, but we ain't going back. Yeah, this is, a, <laughs> this is some clear bias against Conchu. I basically love how that court case amounted to, okay, you're being accused of this. No, I didn't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And then, it, like, literally, it was that, hey, he didn't do anything wrong. Like, this motherfucker have money or something? Like, what's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> uh, you know who my uh, daddy is, uh, so uh, thank you. All right, you're, 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 you're off. Right. But, like, that is a... Hilarious segue into our next question. What exactly did Kanchu do that almost revealed the gods, especially considering the plethora of cosmic and celestial level beings around Earth and the MCU at this time? And how, if anything, are these actions linked to Ra seeing as blocking out the sun was enough to grant immediate audience with the other gods? Yeah, I mean, we... Which you kind of touched on, but... Right, there's been so many things like if the, like MCU. Yeah. We're doing we're doing a bunch of shit. New York in and of itself has seen a bunch of shit at this point. All right, and like we you guys are worried that like an eclipse at the wrong time is going to alert the world into the Egyptian deities being a thing. But I'd be like, like also <laughs> Black Panther. Right. That dude's out here with a whole ass suit. Right. Everybody knows like I'd be like everybody knows about Wakanda right now. Right. Leave me alone. Listen, like, man got tech. They're doing fine. 
he was an Avenger. Right. They were li- literally like, hey, remember that king in Africa? Liter- Motherfucker's a superhero. And on top of that, literally sore. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, I, I'm, I'm out here just like, okay, yeah, I mean, you probably already, re- oh, yeah, well, you almost revealed us. And it could have been before shit was popping off. Yeah, it could have been. But, like, at the same time, there seems to, there's a, been a good enough presence of, like, otherworldly beings and creatures and, and whatnot. So, like, I wonder what that particular offense was. Um, because they haven't seemed to forgive thing, forgive Kanchu, but at the same time, they haven't forgiven Namet for whatever they did. So, and everybody acts like forgiveness is on the table. They do, <laughs> but it doesn't seem like it. No, and it, like I agree. I really want to know. That was one of my questions too. Is like, what are what did Kanchu do? What are we going to find out in the rest of the the episodes? Are we going to get told what? actually happened to get Kanchu banished in the first place like what cause that he tried to get behind and help humans that the gods were like nah fam we're not we're not getting involved in this and because you did get involved in it bye I also too wonder if there is a reason why all like going back to an earlier question and kind of tying it into this one if if this does sort of play into why certain gods don't have aren't present maybe because they don't have avatars maybe because they have actually abandoned humanity too because that was a big case that was made like we haven't abandoned we're just observing and we you know we're going total we're going total eternals and we're not um gonna deal with humanity shit we're just gonna watch and see what happens and yeah popcorn. and that's like my one of my other questions i was on here is what other gods are currently in prisons like Kanju? Yeah. Which, like, was it for things like how Kanju's doing things to support humanity and not have that, like, that wall between the two? Or was it something, like, overstepping a bounds in a different way like Amit? Yeah, because, like, if you look at, like, I keep going back to Black Panther, but, like, the Panther god doesn't seem to be imprisoned. The people of Wakanda actually just contact him through, like, that that plant yeah so like he doesn't necessarily need a physical avatar because like he still grants strength to his followers representative and that in the same way that Ahmet grants strength to Arthur through the cane even though he's not exactly uh Ahmet's avatar so yeah, there's. That's what I'm wondering. Like, maybe some gods are like, I don't need an avatar. I'm done with with humanity, or um, I've cut out my little piece of humanity, like over in Wakanda, or something else. Yeah. Or maybe they're just locking motherfuckers up in stone for a very long time for arbitrary crimes, but then also <laughs> letting off like cult leaders for like the simplest. Did you do this? No. no. So I feel like someone in the past had to be like, Did you do this? Yes. Fuck. <laughs> Two things. One, now Mark is technically free of Conchu. If right. he wanted to turn away, if he really wanted to get out, this is his opportunity to. But then, you know, the world could get inevitable waxed. death is probably going to happen. I don't think Ahmed's going to look too kindly on the things that he has done in his life so far, let alone in a present. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, since Arthur couldn't read the scales, it might get a little confusing. Since Arthur couldn't, you know, Arthur couldn't boogeyman Stephen when he tried to uh, grab his hands. 
I'm wondering if it'll be like a weird thing where like obviously Jake is gonna die and most likely Mark <laughs> is gonna die, but Steven might be left over, but you know, Steven's not gonna like that world. And then I feel like if you talk shit in that world, you're gonna end up dead anyway. So so yeah, it's like Mark is now free of this thing that's that's fucking him up, but at the same time he's gotta save the world. Yeah. Otherwise everybody's gonna get fucked up. Right. And obviously like even Conchu or no Conchu, Layla's not gonna let him give that up. Like this is her fight regardless and she's probably not gonna live through the you know Ahmed's yeah you, know, you I get, shall like, not pass yeah but she's obviously like not in this for for selfish reasons for her she's every time that she's talking about it to someone she's like this we're trying to save a lot of lives like she is being really selfless with with him pursuing trying to make this not a thing oh yeah hell yeah I totally agree so then one of our next questions uh is what happened recently that caused Mark to lose his handle on things? And really in reference to uh, Mark talking about his dissociative identity disorder, how he used to be able to suppress things, but it's not that easy anymore. I definitely wonder what exactly he's talking about, if it is something that we have seen thus far or if it's something that will be revealed later. Because even in what we've seen thus far, I feel like Conchu kind of holding Layla over his head as being the next avatar could put a lot of stress on him to make him not have the strength to kind of like hold himself together and like get through this in a way that he has before. Like this is probably super stressful to think about, you know, the possibility of your wife being controlled by this, you know, deity that you're trying to get away from. And I was also wondering if, like, if it was more of, like, if it was a nod to the comic books, like, uh, you know, Conchie's presence inside of Mark may have further affected his condition, or it might be something that's related to the the dig incident that they've yet to go into. Yeah, it definitely could be, like, I mean, obviously, at this point, we don't know how long Conchie and Mark have been associated together. We don't know how long. Well, if we're going to go with the amount of time it's been since Layla was in Cairo. It's been 10 years. If she, That's also how long her father's been dead. So maybe we can assume that at least 10 years have gone by. Yeah. But we don't honestly, like, we don't know if that is also 10 years since Kanchu has come into his life or not. And we also can say that, we can probably say pretty clearly that this isn't the only thing, like, this isn't the only singular mission that Kanchu has sent uh, Mark on. Like, Mark has just been dealing out justice. So it is possible that it's been a, a 10-year thing. Yeah. I mean, and honestly, it's really it's really stretched to be like, oh, Kanchu is just affecting, could be, Kanchu could be affecting his dissociative identity disorder and, and making it, making, I don't think it's like making it overall worse, but I feel like it's like aspects, like how he talked about how there used to be a wall and the wall no longer exists. And then it's like whoever controls the body can is like stronger maybe an effect of, of yeah. Mark's time with Kanchu. It also, or, you know, Kanchu being in close proximity to Mark, but it also may just be what Mark has had to do for Kanchu in those past 10 years that eventually is like just wearing him down. And, yeah. and the more and more stress that, you know, one undergoes, like, you know, you never know what can happen. And we also know that just from the comic book runs that like Mark had some traumatic events in his childhood that also led him to sort of creating these um, altars early on. Yeah, and I mean, comic book Mark has been through a fuck ton of things. PTSD is not like out of the realm of possibility to be added into the things that he's dealing with. So like, obviously, 
when you put anything else on top of things that you're already dealing with, it makes everything harder. And honestly, too, it could be that Kanchu just broke him because Kanchu certainly broke the fuck out of Arthur Harrow, according to Arthur at the very end of this thing. Like, yeah, like I'm still so curious to see what happened, because it seems like like this is one of the few shows where I was like, this guy isn't necessarily evil. It's just he's responding to things that happened to him. Like he admitted he liked being Moon Knight and dealing out justice and all that shit. But like he also talking about how Kanchu abused him and broke him. Mm-hmm. And like, this is the same guy that one episode ago was like, you can't do anything if you don't talk to him. So it's like, what did Kanchu do to you that broke you? Like, yeah. what was it that broke you? Because similarly, like time spent in Kanchu's presence, whether it's not like a powers thing or not, like the things that Kanchu does or the things that Kanchu holds over you probably do have some sort of mental impact. And so... That's what it, that's those were some of the things that like those are some of the things that I was kind of curious about too because like could be the dig site thing it could just be in a number of jobs that Kanchu has had him do like Kanchu isn't like hey just you know injure these people it's like kill them motherfucker right and I mean honestly like speaking of the dig site last question I have is was Layla's father part of the dig team that Mark was blamed for killing and if so was he actually the one that did the murdering. Yeah, or is this going to be some sweet, sweet uh, Raul Bushman right. type are we gonna, shit? Are we going to have that tie into him? Or are we going to have a tie into, like, he's just getting framed for something? Like, I, I'm very interested in how they're going to go about this. I hope... We know Frenchie exists, so... Right, right. I, that's, Frenchie, my man, we need you to come in and clear a few things up. Mr. Duchamp. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, yeah, I'm wondering if, like, that dig site was the origin. And if it was... Because I think the word is still out on if they're following the complete Moon Knight origin for Mar, where Marlene put Mark in front of the altar of Kanchu and it becomes Moon Knight. It's like, are we looking at a situation where it was maybe Layla's dad before yeah. something happened to him? Clearly, it would like go against what how they had Marlene puts it position in there, unless Marlene, you know, does exist just in a different way in this. Because like Layla clearly was not there; she was not a part of. If that dig site is her father's dig site, she was not there to know what happened. Right. And then it's then, yeah, which also brings up several questions that I won't won't get into. Are we looking at some like winter soldier type? Mm, sorry. <laughs> killed your son. But I have a good relationship with you because I didn't tell you that I killed, like, you know, a family member of yours. Like, are we dealing with that stuff is why he's keeping his distance from her. Yeah. But yeah, I think like what I, um, you know, honestly... To, to sort of jump into final thoughts and, like, wrap things up, I will say, like, one thing that I appreciate about this episode is, like, it left us with so many questions, but the wheels are in motion. Like, it's exciting to see how everybody's evolved a little bit because, like, everybody evolved in this episode. Kanchu did because he got, like, his tiny itty-bitty heart grew, like, three sizes. And then he got (laughs) shrunk into a stone statue. (laughs) Right. Which is probably going to make this man worse. Fucking, um, you know, and then we got Mark evolving. Not Mark is evolving in a few different ways. He's evolving in a way where he can utilize and work with his alters. And this is from a man who can't work with his own damn wife. So it's like... (laughs) You know, Mark evolves to be able to work with his alters. Mark's going to have to understand that one of them alters is kind of crazy and a real bloody asshole. Mm-hmm. 
but you know that's that's also you know another form of evolution we have jake there stabbing motherfuckers in the stomach and then disappearing completely and you have you know layla who started off with you know showing her unyielding support but now has some questions for her husband's actions and knowing layla she's gonna look into those things you know what i mean as she should yeah And Arthur, you know, Arthur went from being like, I'm your nice, friendly neighborhood cult leader to like, yeah, I'm gonna berate you guys for some personal things that are kind of dickish. So it was, I, I, that's what I, I really appreciated this episode. It really, it still really leaned on that point about duality, about like how everything in this show has duality. And I love it that none of the characters are static in this show. They all are very, very dynamic. Yeah. And even in an episode at a time, like we're, you know, halfway at the halfway point, three episodes into the six episode run. And in each episode, we have evolution for each of you. We have, like you said, duality and everything keeps going. There's nothing that has really been super stagnant or anything. There's it always ends with a reason for you to come back. Definitely. And with that, this is the truth learned, that being Moon Knight is not a curse, nor a state of penance. It is simply who and what he was always meant to be. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, please take a second to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us grow the show. And be sure to connect with us on Twitch, Instagram, and Twitter, at lore underscore party. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you under the blue moon.